Unless you've made a serious mistake, you are currently listening to a free excerpt of the committee program with me, Arun Chaudhry. Our show contains lots more global politics, and you can become a member at fans.fm slash committee to receive our full YouTube show, audio, plus other exclusive content. That's fans.fm slash committee. And be sure to check out our YouTube show every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Namiki Konst YouTube channel. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to the committee program and to our favorite segment, Club. Uh, and today we are going back to Italy, which is, of course, the wellspring from which so many of Europe's uh, politics can be examined in my favorite laboratory. Uh, when most Americans think of the Italian right in the post-Berlusconi era, they think of flamboyant showman Matteo Salvini and his league whose social media beast was able to cut through onto the world stage. But last week, for the first time in a long time, we saw another party emerge as the largest in a poll in Italy, the Fratelli d'Italia, Brothers of Italy, a party with roots in the Italian social movement, one of the post-war expressions of the fascist right. How direct a line can we draw from one to the other? How much is the recent success a result of not participating in the current technocratic Draghi government? And how much is a result of their current leader, the forceful yet disarmingly empathetic Georgia Maloney? Lots to talk about today, and with our panel, we have someone who is quite literally focused narrowly on this subject as we speak, Francesca Feo, a PhD researcher on populist parties in both Italy and Spain, and Faculty of Political and Social Science at the Scuola Normale Superiore in Florence. And Daniel Albertese, friend of the show, thank you for coming on, uh, who is reader in politics at the University of Birmingham and PI for the Survival of the Mass Party Research Project, funded by the ESRC. PI is an English academic thing. We can save that for another time, but I will say that uh, I left academics for politics because academics was too political. Putting all of that aside and jumping in, let's begin at the beginning Francesca, how straight a line can we draw between the fascist fascists, folks operating a state, a fascist state, and Fratella, uh, Fratelli, who sprang into existence in 2012? Okay, thank you, Aaron, for the question, and thank you very much for having me here. It's very nice. And so, to get back to your question, I think... Of course, we can see a strong legacies, and in a way, that the connection between these, these new entities, these new party brothers of Italy, and the legacy of the fascism and the neo-fascist uh, Movimento Sociale Italiano, the Italian social movement, is quite, in a way, it's quite, uh, it's quite there, it's quite clear. And uh, of course, like many things underwent, and I mean, just let me try this very, you know, titanic effort of kind of summarizing what happened between 1945 and 2012, when actually Brothers of Italy emerged as a full-fledged and autonomous party. So, as you said rightly, like after, you know, at the beginning of the second, like the Italian Republic in 1946, we had like one parties, exactly the Italian social movement, that kind of like, you know, like um, inherited the legacy of the Italian fascism as a political ideology and also as a, in a way, system of life and understanding as well of the state. And what is important here 
to say is that among the founders of this party, of this party the Italian social movement, we had basically exponent, you know, veterans that were fighting for the uh, social republic of Salo that was basically the resistance of the fascist party in the north area after the arrival of the allies and the, you know, the kind of like reconquering of the, from the ally of the Italian peninsula in 1943. So at that moment, and of course, like the Italian social movement was a neo-fascist party, of course, with a lot of like, you know, symbolically a lot of basically the political personnel that was part of that uh, party was coming from this previous experience. And then what we like one like you know line and fracture that we always draw as Italian or in general like political science scientists in the history in the political history of the country is what happening what happened in the 90s. What we should say, of course, is that basically like the Italian party system until the 1992, let's say, was in a way frozen between different parties. Something that Sartori defined like yeah bipolar like bipolar system bipolar pluralism. Maybe. Oh, anyway. But um, so in this, we say like, we can say that like in these 50 years, uh, the Italian social movement remained like uh, a party, very small, at the margins of the party system. But thanks to the electoral, like the, the you know the, the electoral law that was like a purely proportional law, basically always managed to have representation in parliament. So it was there. It was small. It was never be, before, like you know like. Uh, up to the 10% of the electoral consent and votes and so on, never gathering more than that, but always very present. What happened in the 1992 was basically like an earthquake for the earthquake for the political system. All the parties of the previous age, so the Communist Party, the Italian Social Democratic, like the, or the Italian uh, Christian Democracy, and so on, they all fell down for a number of reasons. Mostly, probably, you know, the triggering factor was the explosion of this bribeville, uh, usually called, so like a corruption scandal that basically invested all the political um, arena. And so after that, we have the emergence of new new parties, many of them populist, let's say. So one we all know is an uh, old acquaintance is the party of Berlusconi, so for the like Go Italy, Forza Italia. And together with that, basically many of the forces that were marginalized, so the Italian social movement as well, managed to become more and more mainstreamed. And also the Italian social movement shifted, it, it changed label, it went through like a maquillage um, process and become, it became the party of national alliance, which was basically like, you know, kind of like involved in Berlusconi like right wing coalition. So was like slowly mainstreaming in the process. He was kind of like getting rid of some of the um, fascist symbols and rhetoric that were instead there from the Italian social movement. And at one point, they even merged together with the Berlusconi's parties. So that's another crucial movement is 2009. We have this merging. So from a only in an electoral coalition in which parties were still, you know, like different and separate entities, they just became one political force. And uh, to summarize, it didn't go very well. I mean, they had, there were huge problems in terms of everything basically in terms of like ideas organization, ideological programmatic stances and so on. So the coalition lasted very shortly and what we have, and this is how we get to Fratelli d'Italia, to Brothers of Italy, in 2012 the, the, the new party, this uh, like the uh, 
people of liberty exactly was uh, again like was failed as a party and we had like we we had a split again and we had again reemerging uh, like um, go Italy uh, Berlusconi's parties and the emergence of forces other political forces on the right one of these the biggest one the one that then you know gathered basically mo mostly of the support was exactly Brothers of Italy that was founded officially in 2012 and then I mean started giving um, raising consensus already in 2014 when Giorgia Meloni was elected as the, the president of the party. So what is what happened in this process is basically that if the National Alliance tried to get rid of some of those more, let's say, problematic for like a mainstreaming strategy, those symbols that were more problematic, so also, you know, the relationship with actually fascism and ideology and so on, we see that in Brothers of Italy, some of these elements came back, uh, especially, especially at the symbolic level. The symbol of the party is actually the symbol that was um, used by the Movimento by the Italian Social Movement. So we saw, you know, kind of this very. I mean, of course, it's ambiguous. It cannot be a direct type of call, but we see this... But it's an open embracing, at least, of exactly. the... Like, they want everybody to know exactly. that, in the, a way, that the road stops there. Exactly. In a way, this is where, what is happening. And what is most important, I think, it's also the type of continuity in the political personnel. So all these people that are now in Brothers of Italy where comes from, you know, were socialized in that type of political culture, especially if we look at the elites, especially, you know, the old uh, senators and deputies that are sitting today in parliament, they all come from that type of political experience. And also, you know, the new generation, let's say, so Giorgia Meloni and or the all their peers come from that type of political experience. And I think this is very important in stressing, again, another element of this legacy. And probably I stop here. I talked even too much. No, that's amazing. You have brought us up to the present with clarity and speed and really set us up. So thank you. Now, Danielle, digging in on that sort of uh, alliance with the kind of, you know, uh, right wing consensus and where those differences are. What is the agenda of the party and how have they been pursuing it? What are some of their candidates like? Give us some texture. I, I think what, what is, uh, is useful uh, in, in Francesca's um, no, summary is precisely, I, I think, to show us the extent to which uh, uh, if the right wins in 2023 uh, as a coalition, which is, I think, a, a very realistic possibility, uh, there would actually be a lot of continuity with what has happened since the fall of the so-called First Republic and the emergence of new parties. First of all, as Francesca said, the party that has been the centre of the political system for 25 years, Berlusconi's Forza Italia, thanks to which forces, which were very heterogeneous, the League on the one hand, back then a regionalist party, the uh, social movement that soon uh, after uh, aligning with Berlusconi became National Alliance, a nationalist party with its roots in, let's say, post-fascism. How the, the, these two parties came together was thanks to this Silvio Berlusconi. Now, Silvio Berlusconi is no longer uh, the, the, the fulcrum uh, of this alliance, and indeed is no longer the fulcrum of the political system in Italy. However, uh, a government uh, that was to take over in 2023 would, in my view, be in many ways similar to the governments that we've had four times before, because we have officially four different Berlusconi governments in the past, although 
two of them followed each other, but it's two dis distinct ones. So what we would have is again a combination of uh, quite radical nationalist post-fascist cultures together with uh, a, a, a hardly um, a more difficult to define uh, entity which is today Salvini's League uh, and Berlusconi's Forza Italia which um, I see as a populist uh, center-right, if you want, uh, party, which has always been very flexible in accommodating the more radical needs of its uh, allies. Right. So I think, in, in my view, this will be continuity. Now, focusing uh, on, on Brothers of Italy specifically, I think uh, to understand Brothers of Italy today, it's useful to compare it with the League. So uh, uh, we were saying uh, before the start that it's also still today, Brothers of Italy is stronger in the centre and the south of the country, the League still remains stronger in the north, despite the fact that the League is officially no longer a regionalist party that only wants to speak on behalf of the north, but has become, thanks to Salvini, a nationalist party itself that says it wants to represent the whole country, and in fact its new slogan is, is Italians first, it's no longer northern Italians first. So you have this now clash, and I think they, ideologically they are now pretty similar, between two entities. So one is a kind of traditional post-fascist, nationalist, radical entity, which is based on that culture and still sends signals to quite radical environments, sometimes even extreme right environments, and they send these messages. We heard that, uh, I mean, the, the, in the party logo you still have part of the logo of the old social movement. But apart from that, if you look at Meloni's speeches, sometimes there are references that you understand if you are part of that environment. So it sent these messages, but also it's branching out uh, to a much more moderate kind of right. And, and that is, um, in that sense, to answer your question, that's where uh, the, the abilities of Meloni as a communicator come into play, uh, her biography, which was autobiography, just published, uh, how the, she behaves on television. She's obviously targeting not just the electorate of the League, but now also Forza Italia, which is a spent force. So you have this, this double game, which is very interesting. On the one hand, we're not giving up on our more radical supporters, and we send messages to them. On the other hand, we are also targeting a much wider constituency. Now, in this, the one that is now, in my view, in trouble is Salvini, who has done extremely well. I mean, if you look mm -hmm. at it, forget it whether you agree with him or not. I mean, if you, uh, uh, I think, assess him as a political leader, he's taken a party at 4% and he's gone up to, in the, in the yeah, I mean, incredible so, so, talent. Incredible like success. Is, hasn't been stopped by his own party in, in transforming it in radical ways, because I don't know of any other example of a regionalist party that becomes a nationalist party. I mean, go and ask uh, uh, the SNP in Scotland or in Catalonia, go and ask them whether they want to represent the whole country, and they'll tell you if we try to do that, we, we wouldn't have a meaning, right? So for me, who was born in, like, observing the previous league, it was quite a, quite a shock to see the league trying to become a nationalist nationwide party. So he's managed to do that basically as been allowed to do that. But now, in my view, he finds a, a, a quite a problem that it's very difficult to resolve. So he is part of a government which is a little bit the government of everybody. And now for the first time, he's got a, a, a competitor on his right 
which is outside the government and is very uh, able to point out whatever the government does and the, the, the right-wing electorate might not like. So when, when the League before Salvini, when the League was part of Berlusconi governments before, it always chose enemies and allies within the government, but it didn't have a radical right force outside to compete with, because the National Alliance that Francesca was talking about was also part of the government. Now, they are part of a government which is obviously has no clear identity, because by definition, Draghi's government is everybody. But now there is a radical right party on their right, which is targeting not the whole electorate, but the right-wing electorate, from the extreme right to Forza Italia. They don't need to try and target the left. They'll never get many votes, or any, and also um, there's no need, because Meloni just needs to be the largest party within the right, so that she can become prime minister. That's what she needs to do. She needs the right-wing coalition to win, number one. Second, she needs Brothers of Italy to get one vote more than the League. Then, according to all the agreements they made in the past, there's no reason why she shouldn't be the next Prime Minister. Now, I'm sure that Salvini and Berlusconi will find uh, excuses, but, uh, for instance, they've started talking about creating a federation, which is precisely to stop Meloni. From, but, yeah. um, but still, I mean, you know, people and voters are not completely stupid, and so there is a limit to what you can do. Uh, and that's, that's our aim now. It's for the right-wing coalition to win and for her party to get one vote more than the League. So it's a good strategy, and I think Salvini, I think, has a problem because uh, he wants to be in a government and exercise influence within a government, and that makes sense. But on the other hand, he, now he's got somebody outside throwing stones. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, and I think it's sort of, especially in Italian politics, sort of having the shine taken off of him just is so damaging because it's a winner's win and loser's lose kind of situation. And like, you know, he sort of doesn't feel like he's on that trajectory anymore. But speaking specifically of Maloney, Francesca, how do you see her uh, trying to bridge this gap between the proper populist right and uh, Forza Italia uh, folks who may be uh, business oriented, you know, just the kind of big tent? Uh, specifically with some of the issues, whether that be social welfare, minimum wage, uh, relationship to Europe specifically, I think. Exactly. Like, I think, I mean, from a, from a programmatic point of view, definitely, like, we have seen, like, you know, the discourse about, like, basically, like, about, you know, everything that is concerned to economic issues, basically, like, you know, kind of, like, directing the attention of the party toward, especially in this time of pandemic, actually, we saw that very much, you know, the kind of, you know, like, giving welfare to all, you know, and providing, basically, you know, state support to small owners, um, you know, shops, restaurants, coiffeur, uh, or whatever, you know, so big, like, small, basically, like, firms and enterprises, and basically this, I would say, I would define, like, you know, in sociological terms, this uh, stratum of the Italian population that is composed by, you know, petty bourgeoisie and middle, middle owners and so on, which is, in a way, yeah, like the, 
uh, yeah, the, the, the ground now, where basically at the very beginning, back in 1994, also like Berlusconi support was um, ingrained and so on. And this is, I mean, it's also like, of course, but Salvini has very much the same audience, especially because, as Daniele was saying, obviously, like his strongholds uh, of votes is in the northeast of the country, that is also the most, uh, I mean, let's say, economically developed um, country, uh, part of the country. So, uh, from an economic point of view, the other like strategy that Meloni is actually, I think, implementing a lot is the provision of social welfare. So, in a let's say let's say in a very paternalistic type of way so it's almost social assistance but not you know not universal benefits and so on and of course with this type of issues so stressing uh, you know like and they redirected their att attention to this type of issues is of course very you know like you know in a positive light for that part of the country which is instead the south that of course like suffers of different type of stru structural economic um, yeah, problems, let's say, and of course, like most population would be, is much more interested in hearing this type of, you know, like economic discourse and economic support. This for what concerns the issues. I think another element that is actually quite important as well in this like differentiation of trying to, you know, position herself between two different type of audiences, so a more radical one and a more moderate one, is also like the very strong point about conservatism and especially like social conservatism, so in type of, in of value, values, no? And uh, of course, she kind of revived, revived in a way that, you know, also Salvini did that, but in a much more strategic way, but uh, like posing a lot of attention on the, you know, Catholic heritage and the Catholic nature of the country and the Italian population and so on. In a way, she is much more effective in doing that and much more credible in kind of like uh, showcasing this type of issues. And this is also something that, of course, uh, can you know win the heart of the moderates uh, or at least uh, of the of the Italian voters? And I think these are two elements that are pretty present and pretty strong. Of course, the immigration uh, issue also works, but this is the thing on which um, she also like has to you know share path with Salvini very much. So. It's really like a bit of a battle uh, of positioning and you know kind of like shifting uh, like from uh, like of distancing them like the two you know the two parties this is what they are doing they are trying to find like a way to distance themselves and you know kind of find some kind of identity and ownership on certain issues to basically like attract small piece and bits of the electoral front. I don't know whether Daniele maybe has one, something else to... Uh, I, I want him to... The, the, yes, please jump in and jump in. Also, we, add to that the extra idea of potentially the biggest prize that either Maloney or Salvini could pick up being precarious workers who are Cinque Stelle voters currently, mm -hmm. right? And who the PD has the hardest time sort of scooping back up. So as you're uh, uh, filling us in further, Daniele, can mm -hmm. you just tell mm -hmm. us who you think has the kind of mm -hmm. inroads on this? And if I'm right about that. Yeah. Um, well, before I do that, just to link up to what Francesca was saying, um, social conservatism, uh, traditional values. Um, I mean, I agree that uh, Salvini sometimes uh, sounded, uh, let's say, a bit less credible than a kind of traditional force, such as Brothers of Italy, that clearly is rooted in that kind of tradition. Um, 
And uh, uh, if we look at the uh, economic proposals, I mean, the Brothers of Italy is proposing much more support for families, which is uh, an idea also very popular among populist radical right parties across Europe, of course, uh, when you look at Poland and so on. Um, and it's proposing to uh, um, get rid of the uh, guaranteed citizens' income introduced by Five Star, but replace that kind of support with something much more targeted to, to families. Uh, so that is a kind of classic um, policies that uh, a conservative or radical right party might want to put forward to argue that, uh, you know, the country needs more children and that's how, by the way, uh, more support for families would be a good idea. <laughs> Incidentally, it's not a bad idea in itself, uh, in the sense that it is very hard for women for a number of reasons, for instance, to get a little bit of support if they decide to have a yeah, child. So it's not, I mean, it can find a very wide audience, uh, regardless of who is saying this. Um, now, uh, on the other theme of, of uh, Five Star, uh, in part, I mean, Five Star in 2018 clearly managed to attract uh, kind of 70% of its voters were more left-leaning, but there was a, a strong 30-35% that were from the right, and there are studies on this. So, uh, in 2018, it was still uh, generally uh, managing to attract at least some, um, a considerable amount of voters also from, from, from the right. Now, in time, uh, more recently, Five Star uh, has lost support also because it's become very clearly, um, let's say, a part of a, of a near left. Uh, I don't know what to call it because I mean the, the word left uh, in there sounds uh, a, bit, a little bit too radical. I mean, center left, near left. It's like coalition. center slash center left. It's not <laughs> center, center yes. slash left. Center, center, center left. coalition that might look left once in a while, uh, but but uh, so. Basically, we are talking about the Democratic Party and the Five Star. So clearly, uh, they see their future as, uh, as something that you know they, they they now have to work on as a kind of together. Although whether the Five Star will will exist six months from now is a different debate uh, because of what is happening within it and it's imploding. But uh, um, some kind of agreement between whatever is left of the Five Star or, the, or a new party created by. Uh, the former Prime Minister Conte and the Democratic Party is, is clearly on the card for the next election. So they've already lost, five star, they've already lost a lot of support the, among those on the right that for a moment voted for them thinking that they were beyond left and right. Uh, also because some of the things I've said about Europe and about immigration clearly appealed to right-wing uh, voters. Now I think it's it, it's for them would be much harder to, to fish in this pond. Also because you have a very credible actor on the right and she's looking like a winner. Like, I mean, Salvini was looking like a winner two years ago and he was, as I said, I think what he's done uh, is remarkable. Now, uh, and, and these things are, you know, we live in a world of social media in which these narratives start sticking very quickly and then changing them is very hard. Now, Meloni now looks like a winner and uh, winners attract uh, more votes. A winner yeah. is like, uh, I mean, everybody likes to back a winner for a change and, and support somebody who's going to win. So, uh, the more, you know, it's a kind of, uh, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy to an extent. In fact, when Brothers of Italy started growing and started coming nearer to the league, then everybody started saying they're about to overcome them. And sure enough, that also affects the electorate and more and more people think, oh, I'm going to back the winning horse here. So, um, can they attract more of the five-star voters? I, I think, I think they can, but 
but you know, to an extent, this has already happened. I mean, they, 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 we've had the five-star representatives moving to them in Parliament. I think we've already had a fair amount of voters moving across. And then there are other people who, who stick with five-star because uh, they, they, they always saw themselves more left-wingers. Because, I mean, after all, five-star was very similar to a Green Party for a little while at the beginning. So, you know, and I mean, these are issues, by the way, that has become, become mainstream with, with climate change. So it is not surprising if they still have a kind of large following among people who see themselves as, as left-wing in terms of social issues and uh, interested in the environment and interested in, in uh, um, like individual rights. But on the other hand, that there is a, a you know a strong, uh, let, let's say, 30-35% of, of their vote in 2018, which was actually coming from the right. I think they already lost a lot of this. And you can see it in, 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 the, in the polls. So this has already moved in the polls. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that I think that does make a lot of sense, uh, Francesca. In terms of like things that we should be looking for, I mean, look, it's Italian politics. We never know exactly what will happen. I don't know if anyone has eyes on Renzi, where he is right now, what he's doing. Uh, you know, the government could, go, you know, could obviously it's you know this technocratic, draggy government could find itself in very choppy waters. What should we be looking at in terms of knowing how we think? Uh, the right will do generally and Fratelli specifically as the next year or two unfolds? What are the kind of signs for, for our viewers to be looking at? Well, first of all, political scientists are usually not very good at predictions, I must say. So let's, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, I mean, what I could say on that, I would say, like, of course, like, I mean, f starting from the point that I don't think that, for now at least, the Draghi government is too much in a pressure or like danger, of course, like all the, you know, movements and uh, like tectonic movements within the Five Star movement might affect that, but uh, all the people that are actually now in the like governing front, they have no interest whatsoever in losing this type of advantage. So even though there will be splits and uh, you know new parties coming up and so on, I don't think that you know the government like is gonna fail like in the next six months. So at least I want to be positive and uh, kind of like have a positive mind on that. But I don't think that this would be the the pro like the, the kind of like prediction of something that would have really happened. The thing is that of course like in this uh, I mean again like this type of status even more is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy for the other side because obviously Meloni from her like opposition status would keep on um, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's a trajectory exactly. for her just better and better as, as it goes on. I would Can say... We, is that something we should see her pulling away further exactly and disagreeing like, more? But I would say that, yeah, I mean, this is probably, like, it's a paying strategy for her. And also, like, she has been calling for election ever since. So already when the second Conte government was formed back in 2018, in 20, like, October, September 2019. So that was already, like, you know, the moment where she started uh, this kind of message okay we want election we want the Italian again to show, like the people obviously like to to go uh, on the, she, in she the has government. the democratic kind of message yeah, yeah. like the publicitarian populist if you want kind of message definitely so and she has never like you know got back from that of course I think she's very like aware of the fact that she's gaining a lot of support but this idea of like also you know there has been a discussion about okay we have to vote the president of the republic so not the prime minister and actually Draghi that is now the prime minister was one of the candidates for that position 
And uh, the problem is that, of course, if Draghi becomes the president of the republic in the next uh, seven months, of course, we will have, we need a different government. So the only reason why, for example, Meloni was backing the Draghi candidature from her own interviews and so on, uh, as the president of the republic was, ah, okay, if we have Draghi as the president of the republic, then we will finally go and vote and, you know, let the people express their will and blah, blah. So I think in a way, I mean, she's pretty much set on a very positive trend. Of course, nothing is settled in politics and never, like, even more so in the Italian politics, but I would, you know, like the type of provision that, you know, Daniele was talking about, so she managed managing to, you know, backing up, like, kind of supporting the overall right-wing coalition and her party as the major, uh, like, you know, partner of the coalition is something that is fairly, yeah, I mean, probable. <laughs> Yeah, no, nice, I, uh, but, um, yeah. Yeah, and we're not here to give her advice, but uh, as a final thought, uh, Daniele, I mean, do do you again as we're as we're observers, especially folks in America watching China for her trying to navigate these two poles? Would you see her trying to do both things, sort of appease business interests as well as little bits uh, for, that are more populist, uh, more social welfare, or just trusting that business understands it's good if the right gets in power let me do what i need to do or don't let me don't let me put words in your mouth you tell me you understand what i'm saying like what what is what's the path i think they she will try to keep appealing to both and kind of more radical right electorate and a more moderate electoral which um, in part is still looking at uh, uh, Forza Italia, although, as I said, Forza Italia is now a spent force and it attracts around 8% of the vote, but, but, but still it does attract that amount. Um, and in Italy that is possible also because uh, I suspect that a very large number of, of centre-right voters do not really see Brothers of Italy as a neo-fascist extreme-right party as it is uh, uh, talked about in the international media. Uh, because uh, I think that Italian voters are actually used to parties that originally, decades ago, have their roots in that kind of culture, but which have existed in the political system now for decades, whether you call them National Alliance, Brothers of it, and they have been part of government for decades, and there are a lot of people, when you say, you know, is Meloni a neo-Nazi would say, no, that she's not a neo-Nazi. So they have, they, they kind of, uh, I think this, this transformation has been digested in, in Italy many years ago, because, because as I said, I mean, when Berlusconi brought uh, the social movement to government, it was quite a shock, but we're talking about 30 years ago, almost 30 years. So then they've been part of that uh, uh, nation in power with the left for, for many decades. So. Uh, that's the first thing. I think that she can afford to try and and, and target the the, the centre as well, and she will go and on. Can doing I that. jump? Second, I think she's sorry oh, yeah, because please. I just wanted to. I mean, it's really. I mean, I think the focus on the party is important, and as you said, I mean, my generation was not raised with the Italian social movement in place. We don't really know about you know those times. So it's kind of it's really there is an element of normalisation. I think. 
in this uh, type of strategy also what really plays a very important role is that Meloni is really playing the gender card very hardly mm-hmm. on that and mm-hmm. obviously you know like this is a typical thing and we have seen it in different countries as well from uh, so like populist radical right parties or you know like extreme parties having then a women leader because actually you know like it gives like a more polished moderate type of image as well to the Absolutely. party in itself right to the, the yeah. exactly to the ideology of the party, I mean, and we see that like very, I think, very blatantly in the in the Italian case. She is uh, exactly kind of you know mixing and uh, you know softening the tones of what would be instead like a super kind of like you know macho leadership, let's say like that, with a lot of masculinist tropes and so on. And she really managed to mix these two registers, one with the other. She is very strong, as we say uh, before, so she's able of very, you know, like flamboyant speeches and so on. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, you know, she play also on Instagram or on social media, these, you know, the motherly side. Exactly. So she's good. But isn't isn't this also the fault of of the others? Because, uh, I mean, uh, uh, for all the talk Mm. about equality, uh, in the end, you know, the Partito Democratico, Democratic Party is always led by men. Uh, Five star, if you look at the people who are at the top who actually have decided its destiny so far and are now killing each other at the moment in this infight, it's all men. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's not her fault that she's the only leader of the party. I mean, the last two regional Italy, elections that Lega is, took happen. to the PD were, of course, Ciccardi, Susanna, you know, in, in Toscana, and then uh, Lucia Borgonzoni in Emilia Romagna. They seem to have, the right wing seems to have an infinite supply of young women who are ready to do things. Yeah, but they rarely get yes. to the very, very top. And here you have a party that with Meloni has gone from 2 or 3% when it was created to now over 20, led by a woman. Yeah. So uh, as Francesca says, she can play the card of saying, you know, we, we are also the only party who is kind of giving visibility to female leadership, uh, which happens to be true. That is what I'm saying is that a lot of the, the reasons for their success is that these things are handed on a plate by the others. The, 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 the same applies to opposition as the only opposition. I mean, how can you not have an, an opposition in a country, right? And I think that technocratic government have been very, very detrimental to the quality of Italian democracy. And this one in particular is another one. So can you have a system in which everybody's in government and is that healthy? Well, you have to re uh, define completely a political system if you want that. I mean, in, in Switzerland they do things differently, um, very effectively, in, in, but it's a complete different world, right? So now you have a situation which everybody's in, okay? So who gives voice to those who might be critical of, of various decisions that are taken? Because the decisions are always political. That there is no technocratic and decision a monopoly in, opposition in the world. Just it's always is political. An thing to have. Uh, it's, it's only her. It's only her, which also in practical terms means that the state broadcaster has to give a space. This is very important because there are rules. So they have to give a lot of space to the opposition. It's like one third to the government, one third to the party supporting the government, and one third to the opposition. Except that the, the one third to the party supporting the government has to be split right, into right, 25, right. and the opposition is always her. So it's brilliant. I mean, this you know, when nice. you think of as a political leader, where do I stay? I mean, obviously, the league decided to be in to influence where the huge amount of money that's coming from Europe can be invested. So that was the main reason. They said it quite, quite explicitly that the regions in the north, which is uh, the industrial 
heart of Italy want to get a share of this money. So they are there to make sure that this happens. But she's deciding instead to be out, but it's the only party that is out. You don't even have a left-wing party that is critical of Draghi. They're all in. So, of course, it's very easy for her to, to, to play the, the populist card and say, we are the only one against uh, this bunch of people who are all the same. Well, maybe yes. Let's see what I mean. That a lot of what she's saying has been actually handed to her by her opponents. And the, 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 the gender card is the other thing. I mean, obviously, uh, the other parties talk, talk, talk. But when do you actually see somebody with a woman in a position of real power, not just, I mean, kind of a local, real power. It's, it, it, yeah. well, in Italy, it doesn't happen. <laughs> or with a lot so. of difficulties of always out of concession by mm. some dude. But that's another... Mm. Right, right, where it feels like a token of, thing. Exactly. It feels like a, yeah. Yeah, it feels a lot like that. Then, of course, one thing is playing the gender card and having the, all this stress, uh, like, you know, stressing the, the fact of being the only women leader and, of course, embodying, um, you know, that type of also motherly leadership and so on. And, of course, like thinking about certain type of women interest, then, of course, is a completely different thing, the type of, like, you know, gender policies that the party is interested in. But this is definitely like another maybe another topic, but uh, I, in a way, this discourse that also kind of, you know, going go in the same direction of like many other instances of what we would call neoliberal feminist type of attitude. So, you know, the, the women that managed to, uh, you know, like break the all men panels, you know, the all men leadership and so on out of meritocracy, out of merit, out of, you know, her own personal individual characteristics and so on. This is obviously like a discourse that is very well spread. I mean, we can discuss about the extent to which this is actually some like a type of discourse and stands, stands, stand, standing that actually, yeah, uh, really support uh, women interest or yeah. like etc. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's a different that's type different of uh, but definitely like we see that a lot. I mean she will never call herself a feminist obviously but uh, she really embodies also this type of values from uh, what is called usually neoliberal No feminism. it's better. So, call yourself a feminist is divisive to be uh, a yeah. woman who is comfortable wielding power exactly. is a story that, uh, as Daniele says, she's now going to be allowed to tell on television well, she as often already. as she wants. You know, she's, I mean, she will be there. She can be booked as much as she wants. She already is. So I guess our, everyone should settle in for a few years of seeing a lot of Georgia Maloney. Yeah. Uh, thank, thank you so, so much, much, both of you, uh, for coming on. Uh, oh, sorry, Francesca, you, you want to get closing word? You have something to say? No, no, it's okay. I mean, I think the other, like, another element that is also super important, in a way, it's competence. But, you know, like, she also, like, you know, depicts herself very much with this very, you know, like, high competence, competence uh, as a competent politician, like a professional politician, which I think... Um, not a technocratic one, but, you know, like a competent politician out of experience. So it's really like about, you know, belonging to a certain type of political community and so on. And I think this is also very effective for kind of attractive that type of moderate electorate we were talking about before. I yeah. mean, this is a... And it's very peculiar as well because it's a style that is completely like in, like in opposition to other type of, you know, populist movement that we have seen in the country, like the Feister movement. So obviously, you know, the, uh, 
um, like a leader that managed even to embody at the same time, okay, some populist claim, but on the other side as well, uh, the you know this kind of like okay professional ethos about politics and how politics, what is politics about, and blah. Of course, this is also part. I mean, from my understanding of why she is actually so successful at the moment. So maybe this is also something that we should take into account to try to you know develop strategies that. Kind yeah. of like you know, change or try to like um, yeah undermine that type of discourse. But uh, I don't know whether it's an ending really. But yeah, <laughs> she's the right woman for the moment in that she does embody both just out of who she is, both ends. And I, I think you're absolutely right about that. Uh, Daniele, Francesca, thank you so much for coming on, and I hope thank we can you. have you on uh, as thank the you. next unexpected thing happens in the unfolding Italian political saga that is. Sure, thank you. Thank you sure. for having us. La imagen por la cual vale la pena arriesgar la vida, sacrificarse hasta la muerte en los campos de batalla de todos los continentes del mundo. Committee, committato, committed, committato, corrul, committee, we young, we submitted. We're committed.